Hello? An hell? An hell? An hell? Uh, hello? <laughs> oh, you're you're awake. <laughs> um, um, am I? What time it is? Uh, it's it's uh it's about seven o'clock. Uh, seven o'clock in the evening or in the morning? Evening. Evening. Oh, I have to go and prepare my telescope. I have been observing for how long already? Eight, nine nights? Are we recording this today? Yes, yeah, we're, we're recording this today. Okay, then um, I think we have to improvise something quickly because in 42 minutes... Uh, oh, 42 minutes for the twilight. Ah! We better make this a quick episode then. <laughs> okay. Hi, I'm Kirsten Banks. And I'm a very tired and sleepy and jet-lagged Angel Lopez Sanchez. And, and we, we are, are the, the scientists. scientists. And music plays. Welcome back, everyone, to our fifth episode of the scientists. I'm Kirsten Banks, and we have a very, very sleepy unhell today. Yeah, sorry. I, I'll try to do my, my best, but it is great because I have been observing a lot during the last week and a bit. Galaxies. Galaxies. Galaxies, yes. Ooh. Perhaps we can talk about galaxies. That's a good plan. I like galaxies. Yes, and then I don't have to think that much about reading and being informed about galaxies because that is my kind of speciality in astronomy. So we're all good here. We can We can just, I mean... We just have a chat and nerd out anyway, so we can just wing it. Uh, we can improvise as we did the very first episode. <laughs> like the first episode, well. that's right. <laughs> so, what's up? What should we choose for a galaxy for what's up, do you think? Uh, well, considering this time of the year and that we are going to be talking about galaxies, I would think that perhaps recommending to have a look to the large Magallanic cloud, it is a very good idea. I think so too. I actually saw that last weekend. Did you? I went into Tamora in country New South Wales. I had no phone reception. It was great. And there was no light pollution out there either. So I went out from the farm. I was staying on a farm, went out from the farm lights and stood in the middle of the paddock and looked up and oh my goodness, so many stars. So many stars. So wow. many stars. Yeah. And the large Magellanic cloud. I literally thought it was actually like a cloud, like normal cloud in our atmosphere, but no. It was the large Magellanic cloud. Yeah, that is what many people think at the beginning. And then they realize that it's not moving, that it is actually a patch of the, a kind of a patch of the Milky Way that have been moving away from, from there. And it is just that, a galaxy, a dwarf galaxy. Well, the large Magellanic cloud is quite the stellar mind blown thing that we have in the sky, basically. As said by Robert Burnham Jr., the Large Magellanic Cloud has a wide range of galactic objects and phenomena that make it aptly known as the Astronomical Treasure House, a great celestial laboratory for the study of the growth and evolution of the stars. I couldn't agree more mm. because really it is a wonderful place to try to understand the processes that are happening in the stars and within the stars, how the gas is condensed and forming new stars. 
some bright stars and how these very bright stars, very massive stars are evolving quickly and exploding as supernovas. I think that we will mention a bit more later. Mm. And we have other very different kind of stars and environment that it is not that easy to see in our Milky Way. We only see, as we are within the Milky Way, we only see the local neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And it's very hard to see through the stuff. Yes, it is, it is difficult to see through the stuff, which was one of the reasons why it was difficult to understand the real size and the real shape of our Milky Way for, mm. for a long time. The other important thing about the Magellanic Cloud, the large Magellanic Cloud and the small Magellanic Cloud too in some way, it is that uh, they have relatively low content in metals. Okay. Meaning that the material have been processed less than the mm-hmm. stars and the material that uh, is in our Milky Way. So it's essentially younger than our Milky Way then? In some way, in some way it is. In okay. some way it is. The stars are much younger. Still there are many stars that are old stars. Of course. As, yeah. as in the Milky Way. But you can see that there have been not enough processes of star formation, of gas creating new stars, the stars evolving and died as supernova of a planetary nebula. That gas, new gas, being used to create new stars and then getting a richer composition in metals. Sorry, metals. When we are talking about metals in astronomy... We mean everything but hydrogen and helium. Exactly. And we have this very ugly word that is metallicity to say that, Mm -hmm. but it is just that. It's everything that is not hydrogen and helium, including majoritarily oxygen, iron, carbon, nitrogen, sulfur, calcium, just name it. Everything that is not hydrogen and helium, metals. Yeah, an astronomer's periodic table is very simple. It is very simple for that, yes. So that is why the Magellanic Clouds are very important and the, the large Magellanic Clouds in, in particular. And it has plenty of star-forming regions. Yes, apparently it has about 400 planetary nebula. Yes, two Planetary nebula are the remnants of stars like the mm-hmm. sun at the end of their lives. But also it has some few complexes that are the result of supernova explosions. Right. Yeah, and that is very interesting just to try to study all the evolution of the stars and that is exactly why it is mm. a treasure to observe the Magellanic Cloud. Um, and again, it is something that you can see with your naked eye if mm-hmm. you go to a very dark place as you were yep. during the weekend. So you use binoculars. It will be also a very nice view, again, being in, in a dark place. Mm-hmm. You probably look into parts of the Magellanic Cloud then with a uh, with a binocular set as well. It depends the binoculars that you use, but mm-hmm. uh, it will be you will be able to see the, the large magnetic cloud, you will be able to see the majority of it with, with the binoculars. You will very easily identify the brightest star forming region in the magnetic cloud, which is 30 Dorados, or... The Tarantula Nebula? The Tarantula Nebula. Ooh. Very cool. A very cool object. It's a very that, big object, that, too. Yeah, very big. That is the one that you will go using the telescope and have a look through it. Mm-hmm. It is a very intense complex of a star formation. On the order of awesomeness as M42, the Orion Nebula. Uh, well, some few orders of magnitude bigger. <laughs> <laughs> if, if, if 30 Dorados were where the, the Orion Nebula is, perhaps the Orion Nebula will cover the majority of the constellation of Orion, something like that. Wow. Because it is really big. I don't have the numbers at the moment, but we are talking about a massive complex of a star formation in, in a galaxy, while the Orion Nebula, it is just, in some way, a tiny star forming region nearby to us. You've blown my mind, Angel. 
that is amazing. And I didn't want to forget to say something else as we were talking about the weekend. Also during the weekend, uh, uh, I was involved, besides observing that I have help from a student from Melbourne, I was uh, also uh, helping in some uh, science communication events here in the Botanic Gardens. And it was very clear and the people really enjoyed the view of the Orion Nebula, now that we are talking about the Orion Nebula, uh, through the, the Dobsonian, the Dobsonian telescope, just in the middle of the city, mm. in the Botanic Gardens. And in, in any way, using one of these uh, uh, filters to reduce the light pollution, and it's only allow you to, to observe some of the few emission lines from the objects, they were very wow to see the, the trapezian stars and all the gas. So it was, it was good. Wow, that's amazing. So, talking about supernova, do you know that there is a very important connection between the Tarantula Nebula and one of the most famous supernova in history? Is there? Yes, it does. Oh. Because the 23rd of February, 1987, a star nearby the Tarantula Nebula, actually it is in the Tarantula Nebula, but in the outer skirts of the Tarantula Nebula, just exploded what? as a supernova. No way. Yeah. Could we see it? Um, we, everyone was able to see it. Wow. It was discovered first by professional astronomers, mm -hmm. but more or less at the same time observed from New Zealand by an amateur astronomer. Well, there you go. Well, isn't there also in the news leak recently an amateur astronomer observed a star exploding in a distant galaxy? Uh, yes, yes, yes. We are, we are going to mention also that. Oh, we'll get back to that But soon. we'll go back to that. Okay, us. okay. A bit more about the 1987A supernova. That is so important, was so important for us because it was able for the very first time to get plenty of results of observing the details of the processes of a very massive star dying, exploding in the way that only massive stars do. Mm -hmm. And we also detected neutrinos coming Ooh. from the from this supernova. I like so a it good was, neutrino. Yeah, so it was the in some way the birth of the extragalactic astronomy with neutrinos. Mm -hmm. Now that we are talking about uh, multi-messenger astronomy, well, in, with the gravitational wave, of course, but with neutrinos of, and with cosmic rays, it mm -hmm. had been done from for a for a while, and in some way, our telescope, the Anglo-Australian telescope, played a very important role in the observations. For, for this for this supernova because there were not many professional telescopes available in the southern hemisphere. It was the AAD here in Australia mm -hmm. and a few in, in Chile and they were just targeting all the day the properties of this supernova to try to identify the best that possible. Also, our colleague David Malin got very nice images of the supernova and some even echo of the supernova Ooh. happening during during the years. So it is definitely a very interesting uh, object that still is driving crazy to professional astronomers to try to understand all the properties. Damn, I was born just a little bit too late, wasn't I? Yeah, well, <laughs> for, for me too, because in 1987 I was 11. Yeah. Well, in that moment, actually, it was still 10. I will be 11 later during the year. <laughs> the other important thing was also that it was able to identify the star that exploded. Oh, okay. Checking previous photographs, mm -hmm. they were able to say that the object was the star with the name Sanduleac minus 69 degrees 202. That was the one that disappeared. 
Very creative name. And the, the, the confirmation that it was that that star was coming from our observatory, from Silent Spring Observatory, not using our telescope, but uh, another of the telescope there by uh, another astronomer, Robert McNaught, who later was also very famous because he discovered a very bright comet in oh. 2006, 2007. The Wasn't he a lucky duck? Yeah, he was. No, but, but because he was doing that, he was part mm. of his job was chasing the skies and trying to detect uh, mainly asteroids and comets, but sometimes some transients like this one, mm -hmm. like the supernova. This columnist sky hunter. Yes, sky hunter. Oh, I like that <laughs> name. That is our section or segment of WhatsApp <laughs> for tonight. And, 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 and believe me, I am still very, very jet lagged. I hope that this is going to work well uh, today, Christine. What do you think? I oh. think... I think will be at least entertaining. Enter entertainment. Well, if, if sometimes I'm difficult to follow when I'm jumping from one thought to the other, if I'm completely awake, now that I have some few things running in parallel on my mind with the lack of a sleep. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> let's continue. So let's go to talk a bit more about galaxies. Galaxies, yes. These big things that hold lots of things with lots more things. Okay, I have very scientific. Very scientific. I have never heard that kind of definition <laughs> of a galaxy before. Mm, so, in a more scientific way, I guess it's a big collection of stars, much bigger than a star cluster, of course, but also with dust and gas and star-forming regions. They can be different shapes, different sizes. They have a galaxy. And you have a galaxy. Yeah. And what they also have a lot, it is that mysterious component that is called the dark matter. Ooh, so, dark matter. So usually the dark matter, the con big concentration of dark matter in the universe are going to have a galaxy in the center. Mm -hmm. Unless you are putting many of these together and then you are going to have the structure. You are going to have group of galaxies and clusters of galaxies and mm -hmm. super cluster of galaxies and so on. Yeah. Do you have an idea of how many galaxies our universe has? Our universe has quite a few and the number is on the order of 200 billion galaxies to two trillion galaxies. Okay, I, I usually say trillions of galaxies out there. <laughs> that's a pretty, like, that's, it, up to two trillion. Yeah, that's yeah, it is, it is trillions. Trillions, trillions of galaxies. That will be, <laughs> that is the name for the episode. Trillions of galaxies. That's okay. right, to okay. match our trillions of viewers. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm not going to be sarcastic here. <laughs> I have always found very interesting that besides this huge, large number of galaxies out there, mm -hmm. at the end of the day, we can classify them in only two categories. That's true. Well, technically, there are a few subcategories here. Well, there are plenty of subcategories, of course. <laughs> but at the end of the day, you can classify the majority of them into, let's say, three. Okay. Yeah, two or two main ones, two main where a few fall into a third one. And a third one. But it, yeah, there are plenty of definitions of different kind of galaxies, and astronomers love to do that. And when I say love, it is love to do these kind of subcategories, depending on the different properties of the galaxies. Mm, there's actually a really nice figure to help classify a galaxy. It's called the Hubble sequence. kind of looks like a tuning fork. 
It is called the tuning fork of galaxies oh, well, by Hubble. So, oh, so well, it, is, it is that. Um, but, but again, I'm going to insist. I'm going to try to put my point here. You will have two main categories, mm -hmm. which are... Elliptical and spiral. And you have that. Mm -hmm. You are not going to get any, of, but, any, any other kind. But look here in, in my textbook, we have E0, E3, E7, SBA, SBB. Whatever. <laughs> so you're going to be more or less elliptical in an elliptical galaxy. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you're going to have a kind of rounded elliptical galaxy. Um, That's an E0. At, at, at E0. <laughs> and then the spiral galaxies, depending of what is happening in... Um, in, in these galaxies, then you're going to have different superstructures. Mm. We have not mentioned that spiral galaxies are made by a disk of yep. gas and stars that are forming in the disk. And in the center of the galaxy, you have a bulge, yes. which is a kind of ellip ellipsoidal structure, mainly made of all stars. Mm -hmm. And depending on how these two are compared to each other, and how the spiral arms that are located in the in the disk of the galaxy are, we subclassify spiral galaxies. But anyway, who cares? A spiral galaxy for the people. A spi a spiral galaxy, and that is why I'm always trying to make the point that trillions of galaxies, but we have only these two categories. Mm -hmm. Strictly talking, there are another category. The irregulars. Irregular. So everything that is not a spiral or an elliptical galaxy we put in, in irregular. That's and, right. And that includes the dwarf galaxies. Mm. Many dwarf galaxies, low-mass galaxies, they have uh, very regular shape. They sometimes they have superstructures that you don't know exactly where the center is. Mm. They are a beauty, fantastic objects. And that is why you're observing them these days. That's <laughs> right, yes. Using the AT. It's actually quite cool. We used to have this slideshow of pictures of galaxies at the observatory and I would go through them and see, oh, look, here's a spiral. You can see it looks kind of circular with these arms and everything. Or here's an elliptical, looks like a bright egg in the universe. And then we get to the irregular ones. There was one that looked like a dinosaur. There's another one that looked like Isaac Newton. Okay, you have to show me the Isaac Newton one. Mm, I do, I do. Maybe I'll try and find it and we can post it. There is something a bit misleading about the Hubble diagram. And that was the name that Hubble himself gave to the galaxies. Okay. Because at the beginning, even though they were more elliptical or more spiral galaxies, the way that we, we thought, or they were astronomers were understanding and getting all, all the uh, images of galaxies out there, the idea was that first you have the bulge of the galaxy, mm -hmm. And as the galaxy evolves, the galaxy is developing the spiral disk. Yep. So in the famous Hubble diagram, the tuning fork, Hubble said, okay, elliptical galaxies are in the left half part, spiral galaxies in the right half part, and we are having an evolution from the left to the right. So elliptical galaxies are early type galaxies, and spiral galaxies are late type galaxies. But that's wrong. That is completely wrong. Yeah. But we still are using that definition. We just need to turn it around. Yeah, well, that, it. Is, that is the point I want to make here at the moment, here in this podcast, again, because I have said that many times in public and during my scientific talks and so on. Astronomers, professional astronomers, still classify galaxies in early type and late type. Mm -hmm. Early type mean the elliptical galaxies that usually don't have star formation and they don't have gas and they are just all the stars mainly there and not 
that much happening unless you have a supermassive black hole in the center that is active and then you have mm. a radio galaxy. Which is rare. Uh, yeah, well, sense. it happens from time to time, but mm. this is also not that, not, not that common. Or you have the spiral galaxies with stars and gas and star formation and colors and dust and amazing things happening. Yeah, I'm a guy of spiral galaxies. <laughs> and these are called the late-type galaxies. But that doesn't make sense. Yeah, because now we know that galaxy evolution is going on the other way around. The first galaxies that are formed are dwarf galaxies. Mm. Irregular-shaped galaxies that are merging together, and at the end they are going to form a spiral galaxy. Mm-hmm. And later, during the evolution of the universe... Spiral galaxies are going to collide one with another. Like we will with Andromeda. Exactly, as we will do with Andromeda in three and a half to five billion years from now. And then an elliptical galaxy is usually formed from there. Mm. Because elliptical galaxies are uh, much more massive than spiral galaxies. That is true. In general. So that is why we should change the name, or at least the convention. You know what we need? We need a paradigm shift. Well, we, that, that <laughs> have already happened. So the written convention is there, but we, we should try to avoid that and just forget about late type and early type and just call spiral or elliptical. Mm. That is my thought. And perhaps other astronomers will not agree with me and that is why it has not happened. But anyway. What do you think to our listeners out there? Should we have early type and late type or should we just stick to spirals and ellipticals and the irregular ones too. Oh, I like that question very much. Perhaps our listeners are wise and they will be able to solve the problem for us. Mm-hmm. Let us know. But for now, I think we should continue on to a particular spiral galaxy that had some interesting news about it the other day. Yeah. Where did that spot come from? Okay, so... It has been in the news the last few days because the research paper has been just published in uh, the very famous uh, journal Nature. And the main thing, the main observations that are in this Nature paper, I'm going to emphasize this, that is the most important journal in science, not even in astronomy, just in science. And to publish in, in Nature, it's breaking news. In scientifically in general, and not only in astronomy. The main observations are not coming from any large telescope or made by professional astronomers. The main observations that we are going to discuss now were actually made by an amateur astronomer. Nice. Using his very own telescope at his home, and on top of that, he was testing his new camera. No way. <laughs> he was testing his new camera. And just having to be pointing in the right direction. Yeah, no, no let, me, let me tell this story because it is very interesting. So this um, uh, amateur astronomer, it is uh, Victor Busso, who is Argentinian, living in, in Santa Fe, in the city of Rosario, in one of the provinces of Argentina. And he has been always a very keen amateur astronomer for many, many years. So... Some people might think that it has been luck that had this happening, but if you have been observing the sky more or less routinely almost every day during 20, 30 years, at the end you might be lucky and you get something like this. Mm. He was very excited because he got a new CCD, a new camera for his telescope at his place, 
But when he was preparing the observations just for the first time, he said, okay, um, I don't want to do many noise because it is late or whatever. I'm going just to point to any object that is in that random direction in the sky because it is where uh, the dome is pointed at the moment. And he went to the galaxy NGC 613, which is around 67 million light years from us in the Sculptor constellation. And while he was taking short images, very short images also, to try to avoid the light pollution from, from the city, but you still can do 20, 30 seconds exposures, and then you stack and get a very long exposure, he realized that there was something extraordinary that was happening in these images. A supernova. A supernova was appearing exactly in front of his eyes. Wow. What is the importance of this? Because we are detecting supernova in other galaxies almost every day. Mm. I mean, Star Mapper up at the AAT, they'd say that it finds, well, not necessarily that it finds stars exploding every five seconds, but it estimates that every five seconds in the universe somewhere a star explodes. It might be a number like, like that very, very easily because of all the stars and the trillions of galaxies out there. I mean, yeah, there are trillions For of galaxies with billions of stars in them. So it is just to just make the count. But in any case, we have the log of the list of all the supernova that explode during a year, and there are some few hundreds, mm -hmm. for sure, if not more. And we are detecting more and more as we are going into more distant galaxies. So that was not the important thing. The important thing it is that we usually discover the new star, the supernova, when it is already there, when, right. it, when it had exploded already. Wow, it's almost like he won the lottery there on the odds of one in... 100 million, apparently. More or less, something like that. Yes, he was, he was very lucky. Although, as I'm saying, he had many chances of trying to do that because he's observing the sky almost every day. Right. And that is why amateur astronomers do. The name of the supernova was Supernova SN 2016 GKG. And we also were able to confirm that the star that exploded was something like 10 to 20 times the mass of the sun. Oh. And it was not a blue supergiant. It was actually a yellow supergiant. Oh, really? Yes. Yeah, so I don't think it, I've heard of a star like that before. Well, that is some of the most massive stars. It seems that they don't have to reach to the blue end phase. Okay. And, and in some conditions, they can also explode as a supernova being a yellow star. There you go. That is also why the classification of the supernova and the classification of supernovas, it is something else that we can be talking and talking and talking because it is much more difficult and weird than the classification of galaxies. It is not strictly the type 2 supernova. It mm -hmm. is type 2b, <laughs> something different because it was the properties that we were observing in, in, in the light curve and in the spectra that we were getting from this supernova were indicating that it was something different. There you go. These observations by Victor Busso have been the very first time in history that someone have captured the real moment when the star was exploding. That is amazing. So there was not a hint of the supernova in the first frames that he was taking, I remind, I remind you, with the new camera. And as the minute passed, he realized that there was this point of light coming and the following day contacting astronomers and professional astronomers, they confirmed that it was a supernova. And then 
many telescopes around the world started to observe the supernova. For the very first time, we were able to trace, thanks to the images that uh, Victor Busso, an amateur astronomer, made with his own telescope at his house in a relatively high light polluted area for doing scientific research and getting the details of how the star is exploding at the beginning. So what results were there from this research? Well, when they were able to put all this information, this point of light as a sequence of time, with all the other observations that were later conducted with more telescopes around the world, they were able to trace the rising of the light coming because of the explosion of the collapse of the center of the star. Mm -hmm. That is what happened for a supernova. The star, uh, the center of the star just uh, collapsed and it created a blow shock going to the external parts of the, of the star. And when that uh, shock is getting into the external layers of the star, it is when we start seeing that explosion and at the end everything is just blowing away. That kind of be like a mushroom cloud sort of effect there? It might be something like that, yeah, something, something like that. It was the predictions given by the models were fitting very nicely with these observations. Hmm. So it was an extra test first to confirm again that these objects are supernova explosions, mm -hmm. but also the models that we have to try to reproduce how the evolution of the brightness of the supernova is happening because of the processes happening in the interior of the star exploding. So it was quite important. And that is why this research has been made to be published in a journal like Nature. And this all happened because someone was just looking up in the back of their yard. So extra importance on looking up, guys. Yeah, no, and that is another great example of something that I would like to emphasize. And we have to talk a bit more about this in another episode, Christine which is the collaboration between professional astronomers and amateur astronomers. Mm. Because amateur astronomers really, really can do plenty of very interesting things in order that we can get a better understanding of the universe. And they can provide, as this example very nicely show, a very good scientific quality data that can be used for all this kind of research in astronomy and in many different parts of astronomy. Because the sky is open to everyone, and we have said that also in, in another episode. Mm. Exactly. It's it's right above you guys. Just look up. Who knows what you'll find? Mm -hmm. yes, exactly. And with this, and uh, knowing that I only have 10 minutes before I go and prepare my telescope, <laughs> let me just wrap up saying that precisely the observations that we are conducting tonight, it is looking for galaxies that have had supernova explosions. Well, there you go. What a great topic to talk about then. Yeah, yeah. so it was it was good to be talking about that. So we are observing galaxies using one of the newest instruments at the Anglo-Australian Telescope, the Koala Integral Field Spectroscopy, or Integral Field Unit. The spectroscopy comes from the spectrograph, which is A omega. And we are able to, in that way, dissect the galaxy in different components, getting the spectrum, the individual spectrum of each part of the galaxy, identify also where the supernova was located, and then check what properties have that region where the supernova exploded in comparison with the rest of the galaxy. Hmm, there you go. So that is the observing program that we are conducting the last, the, the, in the last few days. Excellent. Well, actually, that reminds me too of my research that I did here at the AAO. We've got a conclusion 
My distortion map is now going to be the new distortion map of the 2DF. That is absolutely great. Congratulations. Thank you. Good, good. Much better than the last one, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was really, really needed to, to get one updated version of that map. So congratulations and thank you very much for helping us to really fix that huge problem that, as we said in another episode, we were having at the Anglo-Australian Telescope with the 2DF instrument because of that. Thank you, Christine. My pleasure. <laughs> good. Well, I think that with that, we should be finishing this. Um, don't forget to please send your feedback. We have some few feedback that we have received, but uh, we are going to leave that for the next episode. I'm not sure if next or following one that we are going to continue talking about the star clusters in the Milky Way. Mm -hmm. So please, more feedback about that. And for today's episode, don't forget to give us your wisdom Bestow some wisdom onto us about whether you think the Hubble sequence should be the other way around or should we call ellipticals early type galaxies, spiral galaxies, later type galaxies, or just stick to the ellipticals and spirals. Yeah, which is, you know, what I think. But anyway, let's see. Let's see also what you think. Let us know. We might put a poll up on Twitter. Yeah, well, we can do that too. When we we release the episode, we can do that. Okay, that is a good, a good suggestion. Good, good plan. We will do it. We will do it. And also don't forget that we are in Twitter, mm -hmm. in Facebook, and we have a Gmail address. Exactly. So you can contact us on Facebook and Twitter at The Scientists. On our Facebook page, there's a button that you can press to actually email us. The email, for your reference anyway, is thescientists at gmail.com. And also you can record your question if you want. We are really looking forward to have our very first question from someone. Just saying, hey, Christine, hey, Angel, what do you think about this? So what is this? And we will very happily try to help you to answer your astro question. We will. We do love questions. Well, that's all for today, and uh, we'll see you in two weeks. Okay, thank you very much for listening. Have very clear skies. Enjoy the night sky, the stars, and please have a look to the large Magellanic cloud if you are lucky enough to be in the Southern Hemisphere. We didn't mention that. Yes, Southern Hemisphere only, people. I'm sorry, but it is wonderful. Thank you very much for listening. and Clear skies. Keep looking up. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.